Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 71 for Monday, January 13th, 2020. Hello from the future, my name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorus, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi Joel, welcome back. Happy New Year, sir, and I think that the first podcast of the year, especially on the 13th of January, this is maybe the latest that we can say Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because after, after a while, it's like, no, really, dude? You're still saying you're still saying Happy New Year? But uh, the, cu- the cutoff point is two weeks into the year, so yes, we are j- yeah. just squeezing in before that happens. The first, the first thing of the New Year is, I guess, where you can cut things off, because we haven't talked to our listeners for a month really hi listeners yeah we've been on holiday uh and if you want to hear more about my christmas holiday and johnny's christmas holiday as well as the games that we played over the holiday like satisfactory and celeste then you can listen to the render distance which is the extended version of the podcast you can get that at patreon.com slash the spun chunks uh i'm curious though uh how is minecraft going after a month off johnny I do feel a little rusty, I'll be honest with you. And I didn't really, I spent no time playing Minecraft while I was away for three weeks. So yeah, it has been, it has been a good while. I managed to backlog a few videos before I went away, including the start of a Skyblock series, which I'll be continuing in the new year, as well as a couple of episodes of the Survival Guide where I was looking at you know, the the last things I had to cover with bees, can bees really fight the wither, what the honey blocks do, that kind of stuff. Uh, but now I'm back into it, I'm planning on doing some stuff with, uh, with... Today's episode was all about what to put in an ender chest, and I felt like that episode was a long time coming and a few people had asked for it, but it was a good way of getting myself back into the mentality of playing the game, getting my storage system organized, figuring out where everything was, what do I need to bring with me to start the projects that I'm planning to start in the new year, and just getting reacquainted with the game without immediately throwing myself into something more challenging like fighting the wither or building a mountain. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm easing myself back into it slowly, planning on doing a couple more episodes about armor stands and some of the the new things that you can do in 115 that I haven't already covered and then uh maybe building a bit of custom terrain after that but it does feel a little strange having played Minecraft daily or practically daily for I guess the last year and a half now considering that this is this is now what I do full time it's very strange taking 3 weeks off it feels like nothing's going to be where you left it when you come back but uh thankfully it is and i'm 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 looking forward to getting back in and making some more videos i do find that about minecraft like i i played a different game over the holidays and i did play minecraft but it was maybe once a week you Mm -hmm. know or on the weekends as per usual and it was tough like it was hard to kind of wrap my head around stuff especially because we i was updating uh over the holidays to 115 and then 115 one and all that kind of stuff so yeah it just it's it's amazing how when you're out of it for a while, you can kind of forget what you're doing. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Minecraft is so self-directed. Yes. Right? So yeah. when you're in there and you've got a direction and then you you go and do other things, you come back, the game doesn't say, oh, welcome back. You're in the middle of this fight or you should yeah. go kill this boss. It's like, um, welcome back. <laughs> like... Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like walking into a room and forgetting what you came in for. <laughs> It's it's a little bit like that feeling, but but in oh, a, I do a, that all the time in Minecraft. You yes, go, you go downstairs. You're like, what did I come down here for? Yeah, I was I was streaming the other day, um, just getting back into streaming as well, and I was preparing stuff for the episode just by crafting a bunch of 
easy to craft things like redstone components and stuff that I was going to be filling up all of these shulker boxes, which are now permanent residents of my ender chest, I thought, yeah, let's nice. craft a, a stack of comparators, a stack of dispensers, which, by the way, is way easier in 115 because you can shift-click the bows into the crafting interface now. Super oh, good. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so, so life hack for everybody. Uh, craft a bunch of bows and shift-click. But yeah, I was doing that, and I, I was constantly like, you know, going upstairs for crafting ingredients, coming back down and saying what was I going to craft with these? What's next? Like I yeah. having, having to like double check things and interacting with the chat also has that effect where you're distracted by a question somebody might have. And if yes. you're not in the middle of doing something robotic and like muscle memory takes over at that point, you have to, you have to check yourself for a second and go, what was, what was I doing? <laughs> Why do I have yeah. this redstone dust in my hands? Can't so quite remember. I've been a fan of the ender chest full of shulker boxes. Like there is yeah. nothing else in there but shulker boxes. And each one is filled with its own special combo of stuff. But mine mm -hmm. has developed over time. Like I've started off with what I thought was going to be excellent. And then turns out I didn't need some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so what are, we'll say three, like what are your top three shulker boxes that you put in your ender chest that you find essential? Uh, I have redstone components. Mm -hmm. I have fireworks. And I have backup equipment. And right now I've, I've kind of worked through a bunch of other ones as well. And now everything is, it, it neatly worked out as 16 shulker boxes. So each one is a different color. And some of the colors don't really make sense because nothing in this game is purple really. But um, yeah, I, I figured out I wanted to bring stuff like stone and lots of wood and stuff with me as well. Uh, but I think the three I rely on the most are probably... Yeah, backup gear so that I can get, you know, a different axe or pickaxe or something. Right. Or if I, if I need a new elytra, if I need to grab my, you know, fishing rod that I haven't used in forever because I don't do much fishing in the game. If I want to, you know, take that out or if I've got a beacon in there or something like that, that's mm -hmm. usually pretty useful. Fireworks are a must because I fly around constantly. So I'm running out of fireworks constantly. And I've got a, a, a shulker box that's just a row of crafted fireworks, a row of gunpowder, and a row of paper. So I've always got the materials to craft more when I start to run out of ah, that top row. Nice. And then the nice. redstone components, because there are so many of them and they clutter up your inventory otherwise, the shulker box is just there to organize them, really, just to make yeah. sure that, you know, I've always got enough comparators or enough repeaters a, a stack of redstone blocks in there so that i can make sure i have dust whenever i need dust and so far that has not let me down occasionally i will have to go back and top up those components when i've used a ton of repeaters for something but yeah uh, yeah i think that's that's usually the most useful ones for me how about you so i will go with some different ones to not overlap what you've suggested uh mm -hmm. i'll focus more on say some of the building things so what i found is i'm now carrying around two shulker boxes of glass uh-huh one of which has got like one of every color with probably emphasis on some colors i use more often like there's not a lot of magenta glass in there but yeah. there's probably like two stacks of white probably two stacks of green and depending on what i'm doing there's you know, multiple panes and different things like that which is very handy because when you're building, you want to kind of like, well, what does this look like? What does this look like? And rather than having yeah. to craft all that kind of stuff, you can just kind of quickly test, you know, yellow, orange, blue, red, like what, which looks you, you've got like You've got swatches of glass at that yeah. point. Yeah. And then I have a shulker box full of clear glass. Like just everything in it is just clear glass. Because um, when you decide, oh, good, I want to use the white. And you go, okay, well, I have one stack of white. That's not going to do this. I need, I need like seven. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I have the clear glass on me to then die and go from there. 
Uh, so the, the shulker boxes of glass are, are essential. Um, I have a utilities shulker box, and that is basically all the redstone-y stuff that you would have that's not redstone. Yeah. Ladders, beacons, furnaces, uh, ender chests, crafting benches, uh, torches, like all, all the utilitarian things that you need three of, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but you don't have with you all the time. So I've kind of got this like toolbox, but it's not a toolbox or it's like a, it's like I said, it's just utility stuff. Um, and then what's the third one that I would have that would be pretty essential? Um, I, well, this is new talking about new developments. I have one that is all cut stones. So it's slabs, stairs, and walls in just about everything that can allow you to craft those. Right, yeah. So having that for building in like diorite, andesite, granite, stone, cobblestone, like not every, not all of those materials get all three of those things, but I've got the shulker box just full of all that stuff. I was going to say, it, is there is there a gap there for cracked stone brick stairs? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, there's, a, there's an empty spot for like, you can only get polished andesite in two of the three. Yeah. Right? And so, and then, but then you can get more... There's like mossy cobble and cobble. So like those mm -hmm. ones take over. So like, yeah, there, there's, there's, there's a, there's a spot missing with a sad face for, for cracked stone slabs and stuff, uh, and stairs, but also something else I noticed over the break that's missing is, um, smooth stone stairs. Like yeah. the, 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 now the one that you have to smelt now, they don't yeah. have stairs in that, which is frustrating. Um, but yeah, so the, I, I, for building, I use those, but I, I have the exact same shulker boxes as you. I've got a toolbox, I've got a redstone box, and you know, I've got um, a rocket box because it's mm -hmm. just kind of practical. Those are, you know, the obvious things, but um, it makes life a lot easier. I highly recommend the, the ender chest full of shulker boxes. Um, I actually have to take stock. I, I'm going to watch your video and kind of like look at my ender chest and think, okay, well, what box have I not used in like forever? That really yeah. doesn't, maybe a whole box doesn't have to be prismarine. Maybe just, it can be part of another box, you know? Mm -hmm. I brought enough prismarine to build around a conduit and I bought two conduits in the same boxes as I have the beacons. Oh. So uh, that, that, was, that was my thought. I've also left space in a lot of these boxes because one of the things I find mm -hmm. most frustrating about packing your ender chest full of stuff is that eventually you just want to put something in there instead of take something out and you just run out of space. So a lot of these will have empty spaces in there for additional materials to go in and I've left three empty shulker boxes and five empty slots in the ender chest just because I know there's going to be some stuff that needs to needs to be put in there instead of taken out. Yeah. Um, I've but, I've got an empty shulker box in there called a the backpack. It just yeah. it just what it just it's a junk box like it just everything that, you know, is frustrating you at the time just goes into it <laughs> yeah and i i had several of those in my ender chest already hence the need for organization but if, uh, if you think of if you think of anything if you watch that video and you think of anything that is missing from that something you feel like i've overlooked uh let me know because i've mm. one of the things i want to do with this episode especially is to get feedback from how other people do things because there are a lot of items in this game now we've talked about the storage situation in the past on this show and i kind of think that coming back to minecraft after three weeks might have left me a little bit rusty and i might be forgetting some things that other people would consider essential so it's uh, it's it's an interesting challenge one other tip i have before we move on to talk about what you did over the over the break is if you 
you want to store obsidian in a compact way, turn it into ender chests first, because I have a lot of obsidian now from clearing out all those end city towers, but one ender chest is eight obsidian if you break it with a non-silk touch pickaxe. You lose the eye of ender in the process, but I, I picked that up from Etho a while ago. He said, like, if you want to bring a lot of obsidian with you someplace, just make a stack of ender chests. If you've got easy access to ender pearls and a blaze rod farm which both of which i have at this point yeah it's it's so much easier to cart obsidian around two ender chests you break those down you've got more than enough obsidian for a nether portal wherever you want it so that's that's a good tip and i made a stack of ender chests and i put them inside the ender chest and that way if i want to just grab one of those quickly to take with me if i don't have one in my inventory at the time nice and easy to find one before i leave the base and then when i get to my destination i can make a nether portal no problem because i have tons of obsidian in there Nice. I have a a life hack too that I'll share in just a minute with my with my gameplay. Uh, that actually reminds me, at this level of gameplay in that toolbox that you mentioned, you and I probably both have the same sort of thing where we've got multiple silk touch, but also multiple fortune pickaxes, so that yeah, you can if you need to break an ender chest, you have a tool that you can switch to that will do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. I keep I keep my fortune and my silk touch pickaxes on me at all times now. Oh. I just mm. I like having two on me just so I can swap between them if I'm haste mining or something like that. I don't feel like I have to stop, repair my tools, and then come back. Right. Um, and it it you know it lasts for twice as long. But also, I recently lost all my gear to the Wither in a uh, a fight with the Wither where I was trying to fight it with bees. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, yeah, we can we can talk about that a little bit later. Wow. But um. Yeah, I, I lost all of that stuff, and so I had to go into my backup gear box to get my backup fortune, my backup silk touch pickaxes, and basically have those be my primary tools going forward. So I need to refresh that set of gear at this point, because I think I have a bunch of diamond pickaxes knocking around. I have villagers I can trade them from. It's just making sure that the backups are refreshed now that I'm using the backups as my main set of tools. Nice. So for me, uh, I have been under the the world again you'd, you'd think that i would be back in the sunshine after spending months in the nether uh in the summer and the fall and then i've moved on to the modern city where i quickly moved underground to build a storage system nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean i shouldn't say that i we've got the block bank which now has two facades i haven't finished the back walls yet because i don't know what's going on those blocks but um for anybody that that doesn't know what i'm referring to uh the brick bank creator expert set from lego is the inspiration for the block bank that i'm putting in my modern city uh after clearing some space for, for some roads i quickly realized i need a plot spot that's organized to put all of this dirt and all of this stone and coal and things that i'm getting that i don't have a storage system in this area for and so i thought you know well let's put my thinking cap on here and try to come up with something really useful for every other player that's going to come and build in the city because they're going to run into the same problem i don't want all this dirt I'm like what do i do with it um so i created a bulk storage system underneath the bank there is a deposit box at the um, front of the bank so similar to an atm you just can't you can't withdraw you have to just deposit stuff into it mm-hmm. uh, and i'm quite happy with all of this redstone so this is going to get kind of technical here but when you go up to the atm you have two options you can put things into a shulker box or you can throw the stacks directly into a water stream by just like throwing them out of your inventory. Both of those things will then go into the system. So I've got two separate water streams, one for the shulker box and then one for the items. The items are being put onto powdered concrete that has 
uh, hopper minecarts buried in it. So if you put in 10, 12 stacks, they get sucked up right away. We're not stuck mm -hmm. with, with hopper timings. And then thanks to, I'm going to tip my hat to both uh, Tetrajack and Paranor, friends of mine in my Twitch chat, gave me a design for a newer version of an auto dropper. It involves some pistons and some um, uh, observers. And it's lag, it's better lag friendly than the version that I was using, which is also very slow. So these two droppers will spit out like a bananas amount of items quickly into the water streams, one item at a time. Mm -hmm. So it's fast, it's lag efficient, and the items don't bunk, bunk up, which is a problem in storage systems when you're filtering things is that an item, you know, stack will just jump up into 64 and then it won't be able to get into the filter because it, the filter can't handle it. Yeah. So I've got high capacity filters. They can handle 63 items at a time. I've got multiple filters for each um, main item that we're filtering, like two dirt, two stone, two grass, uh, one for each of the different stones like diorite, et cetera. And then I've got the different woods. I've got the different um, gravel and sand. I think I've got coal ore and iron ore right now all filtered out. So this is great. Like you, you're clearing an area for the city. You can just come up to the bank deposit box and just barf all of your stuff into this, into this yeah. thing. That's street level. You don't have to go down an elevator, nothing. You can just go in there and just nail it. Just like dump everything. Free inventory. Life is grand again. Are you modeling this after the block bank Lego set? Like, are you, are you trying to copy that as close as possible? Or is it just kind of loose inspiration? Because this is a really nice looking Lego set. Uh, it's really close. Uh, it's really close. I, I meant to send you a screenshot before the yeah. before the game before the podcast, but yeah, no, it's I, it's as close as I can with Minecraft limitations, and I'm making some concessions to make it better for either function or, uh, for example, in Minecraft you have to make the walls like three thick to get any kind of yeah, detail of with course, them for the, for these for these city builds. So. Uh, it's a little bit different that way, um, and I can't, the interior is going to be wholly different. But but the outside, the colors, the general shapes as best as I could get them are as close as I could to the, the Lego build. And for anybody that's stuck, this is my first life hack tip. Look up Lego and look up like Lego ideas. So not the official sets, but like some of the, the, the mock sets that, that other builders have made. Um, for inspiration for Minecraft, because it's not a direct one-to-one. -one. You can't really copy it exactly, but you can get really close. And yeah. it provides a really good kind of like basis for how you can um, springboard an idea. And so for me, um, using this um, block bank and brick bank, sorry, the brick bank is the Lego name, um, really helped with with getting some ideas for like, you know, ornate structures and how do I break up the entryways and what goes over the windows. And sometimes in Minecraft, it's just a single block solution. Like for me, I've got, I've got single walls that are over my, um, over my windows as like a decorative sconce. And it's really simple. It's much more decorative in the Lego build, but it, it works in Minecraft. Like it gives you enough of, of a look, you know, enough of a, uh, a detail, I guess that it really it really does help with um with the way things look um for me the the underside has been taking up more time because once i established the design up top it was basically just repeating it right you've got like a three wide window with a five wide section and then you kind of like stack them next to one another and kind of repeat things as buildings often do 
Yeah. Which has been a great creativity break for building in the city. I don't have to design every last look, nook and cranny. Everything doesn't have to look weathered and textured and, you know, have all this greenery. It's just like, nope, there is no green. It's concrete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like just everything. There's flower pots, but like everything else is just all stone and, and one color. And so that kind of stuff has been fun. It's been more about shape and form than it has been about texture, which has been a nice shift. Um, but underneath the bank, uh, I've gotten way more complicated in this room, which is really cool. So at the bottom of every uh, of every um, bulk storage silo is a shulker box that's a property of the block bank. But you can just break the shulker box, take it with you somewhere in the city, place down an absolute metric ton of stone, and then bring it back and put it back in its place and it fills back up again. Nice. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, I've got multiple filters going into the same silo so wood planks and wood logs are both filtered out but they're both put into the same set of chests because like mm -hmm. I, I don't need stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of wood but i know i'm going to be wanting to collect both right um what's the other thing that we've got going on i've got a newly installed smelter which this is what we did on stream yesterday so eight furnaces you put your stuff in it it puts the fuel in everything's delivered back to you via water stream uh, and this is my last, my last little, uh, tip. I also have a new concrete maker, which I sort of designed from, from scratch should have used from some older designs, but it has the ability to give you new stacks of concrete powder. So every time you mine a block, it gives you a fresh powder block. Mm -hmm. Uh, it also, uh, can, uh, it's got storage right next to it. So the the sand and gravel is filtered out of the water stream right next to the concrete maker. Uh, it has, like I said, some observers and stuff that goes into it. It has a, um, what's it called? Hopper minecart instead of just a hopper. So there is absolutely no loss. Stuff does not get spewed everywhere. My original yeah. concrete maker design, it was okay. It was functional, but you always had to run around and click, you know, grab the extra eight blocks that kind of like floated around yeah. and stuff. Having a, a, a hopper minecart, I don't know why I didn't do it sooner uh, in there. makes a world of difference. But uh, here's the fun thing. I also use these for quartz and for coal. So you grab your Fortune 3 pickaxe and you put your coal ore or your quartz ore in your opposite hand, much like you would a uh, concrete powder block. And then you just hold down both right mouse click and left mouse click. And it places and breaks the ore, mines the ore that you need, and everything gets sucked up into the same chest. So mm -hmm. rather than building like stacks and stacks and stacks of, of coal and mining down through this tower, you can just stand there and just like turn, I don't know, 12 stacks of well, nine, I guess, would be the maximum for the dropper, but you can turn nine stacks of coal ore <laughs> into coal for the furnaces, which is great because uh, this modern city is far enough away from the rest of our builds that we don't have any other infrastructure. So really, I'm powering the smelter with the coal that we're just collecting naturally from leveling different areas. So um, it's been really fun. It was nice to get into a new area and create some infrastructure and have it all look modern and clean and not have to worry about like, log flumes and all the different design aspects that i was doing before everything is just white concrete white glass i'm really happy with the water systems if, if anybody has seen hermitcraft season five are we on five or six 
Uh, six currently. Six. So five so was last five. season. Uh, ZF's crystal cave and his, his crazy water streams that he had going on in this crystal cave was my inspiration for um, for the under the bank um, server. We called it the server room um, and everything there. It's not all over the place, helter skelter. It's all very clean, straight line sort of stuff. But the white glass, blue water streams, white concrete, like everything is very clean. And it mm-hmm. was a, it was just a fun exercise to organize this stuff. And it's funny. I went to go build in this modern city, and I've built two thirds of a building. Yeah. <laughs> and then I've spent like hours under this thing getting it all organized. But I think what it means now going forward is that when we do want to go and and make you know new roads or you know, new new buildings, then all of the stuff is going to be there to do that. Yeah. And I think it's going to make things a lot easier. Modern cities are not easy to build either. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like a, a lot of people expect that, oh, it's just kind of everything is clean lines. It's all made out of concrete. You just need concrete and glass and that kind of stuff. Not counting the fact that concrete is an absolute grind to produce. Terracotta is not much easier and also, there's so much material has to go into those buildings in order to make them look good. Whereas medieval houses, you're building like a one, maybe two story house, a couple yeah. of like, you know, dormer windows and stuff if you want them. But like the the formula for building those things uses relatively few materials unless you're going more expansive and building castles and stuff. Whereas to make a modern city look realistic, there is so much resources that you have to pour into that project in order to make it look substantial and like a modern city instead of just like you've recreated a city block in the middle of nowhere and you put like, you know, months of work into just that. So yeah, it's it's not an easy project to do, but starting with the storage system is a great idea because you're never going to get frustrated with stuff just being laid around everywhere and you can't find it it's probably something i should do at my ski resort project next is start building a storage system so i don't just leave my shulker boxes all over the landscape yeah 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 and and i'm I'm trying to i'm battling right now with scale like we've got the roads done the road scale is right uh, i'm still working on the right scale for street lamps uh so it is it is mob central like i mean mm-hmm. i went upstairs one day after um not sleeping through the night and i kid you not there were eight creepers in the same block of road like there's there's mobs everywhere yeah um but the the problem i'm having right now is scaling the buildings because some of the ones that are street level like a cafe or the bank we you want that to be player scale like when you walk in you want it to feel like the right size mm-hmm. um by the way lego gets you pretty close uh, in terms of the basic block counts, uh, we've decided on 31 blocks for the size of a city block. So 31 Minecraft blocks so that yeah. that the building doesn't have to take up the whole block. So if you want to do an even or an odd building, you could make it larger or smaller and then just add like, you know, a little bit of a lot or back it up off the street a little bit or whatever you want to do. Um, so we've done that. And that allows me to put like, I think, three small townhouses could fit inside a 31 wide city block Uh and those are things that you could walk inside of like walk in there'd be a clear living room dining room kitchen and upstairs like i'm battling with the the scale of things and what i'm discovering is that i have to build the interior first and decide okay this is this is the right width living room should be five blocks you know hallway should be one or two one feels kind of narrow um, even though a real hallway is not much more than a meter wide, in Minecraft, a one meter wide hallway feels very narrow. Yeah, so... it's funny. It, it it isn't at all intuitive to build that way, but it also no. it makes a lot of sense once you've got the interior laid out to a kind mm-hmm. of comfortable player scale. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I just don't want to feel claustrophobic. Now, I have no intention of building an apartment building and have every apartment be built. Like, yeah. I, that's not a that's not a thing that's happening. But what I want to try and do is have maybe some of the lower apartments that you could either see into or travel up to easily uh, be player scale, be decorated, be, you know, something you can walk into and go stand out in the balcony and then look at the city. But maybe the upper levels, like the top six or eight floors of this building are going to hide some sort of farm, you know, whether it's a carrot farm for food, whether it's a wool farm, you know, or we want to do a flower farm for dyes. Uh, and the idea there is to put like a flower farm in the top part of the building and then have the florist be the first level retail you know mm -hmm. and have all the dyes and the flowers down there so that kind of stuff we're going to be more practical about it i got really bent out of shape when i was first trying to plan it because i'm a perfectionist and you know my twitch chat will tell you that it's a problem um of trying to overthink things and so i've decided to make a minecraft modern city so i don't care that the elevators are going to be bubble elevators that's what an elevator is in minecraft yeah, i have no totally. desire to try to make a redstone elevator that is slow as molasses uh we're just gonna go with uh water elevators and that's just that's how people get around in minecraft you know so that's what we're gonna do and i, I think it's gonna keep our builds fun and unique but also remove the oh gosh like how do i want to get up and down this crazy apartment building it's like you're just gonna use bubble elevators you know yeah. if there's if there's six floors there's going to be six bubble elevators yeah. <laughs> and you'll just you'll pick the one that takes you to the right floor and really that doesn't take up that much space right like that's just a a wall on the back of your building that will just take you up to multiple floors right yeah the the practicalities of building something quote unquote realistic in minecraft are much greater than you would expect like yes. there's a lot there's a lot more you have to take care of if you're really striving for real so it makes sense like not worrying too much about that and allowing yourself to enjoy it and consider it minecraft in world logic as opposed to going mm. too heavily into realism um speaking of the real world though uh we should probably move on to the news and the reason we've been talking so much about the stuff we've been doing over the break is because it's kind of a slow news week in general um a slow news month even uh because the development team for minecraft typically takes a break over christmas and new year so there hasn't been a great deal of development news coming through uh what there has been is development news on peripheral things related to minecraft and you've been keeping track of the minecraft dungeons development diary videos they've been posting on youtube yes and there was a new one that i'm assuming was recorded and, and put together a lot you know earlier than december 20th but one came out on december 20th while we were on break and it was called minecraft dungeons diary gameplay it's a short watch it's only about five minutes but i would highly encourage people to check out these videos because they're offering a lot of insight in very clear language it's very easy to understand there's visual um visual uh, accompaniment like gameplay stuff they're not sitting there and talking about everything that's happening on screen they're usually talking about like a game concept or a development like the the philosophy that's going into the way they're developing yeah it. how they're how they're putting the game together um but i thought it was there's some little you know, kind of nuggets of information that was news to me now i'm not you know on the edge of all the minecraft dungeons news because outside of e3 when we had a lot of like you know reveals and i think there was also some more stuff that happened in um minecon live obviously but since then there really hasn't been any big kind of like you know announcements about the game it's just been these little diaries uh, and some of the diaries up into this point were kind of um, stuff we already knew. But there was a mention in this diary of emeralds as in-game currency, similar to how you connect, collect coins, you know, in, in other 
um, dungeon crawler games. Emeralds are, of course, the game currency in Minecraft Dungeons. But they mentioned that you can spend these in the lobby. They didn't say what you could spend them on. So I don't know what the in-game currency is going to be spent on, whether it's new gear, whether it's new potions or abilities, whether it is in-game purchases like skins, like whether you can collect emeralds and then buy a cool looking armor die or something like that. So maybe you have the exact same armor that your friend has, but because you wanna be able to differentiate yourselves on screen, you spend a little bit of emeralds and you make yours purple. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I kind of hope they let you personalize stuff like that because I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and other games have done that. I used to do that in Diablo 3. I used to dye all my monk armor that I would pick up. It would be like brown and gold. Like I had this very Asian kind of vibe to it. And I thought it, it, it was nice because you'd pick up this great new set of gear, but like the leggings would be blue. And you're just like, well, those look dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and and dyeing it in, in Diablo was very easy. It was not a hard thing once you are, are at any point past the initial stages of the game, you can stop looking like a, a, a hobbled together you know, hobo <laughs> and, and start to look like you really mean business, which I think would be really fun because of how cartoony and bright Minecraft Dungeons is. Um, I thought that would be a really cool thing. I don't know if they're going to get into microtransactions. I, they've not mentioned anything along those lines. Uh, yeah, whether I, you... I, would I would assume not if it's going to be a pay up front experience. I feel like microtransactions are typically going to be a yeah. payment model that they have for something that's either got a subscription or something that's free to play yeah. like Minecraft Earth is. Yeah. And so it's potential, but if they did, I would imagine it would be um, aesthetic stuff, not stuff that's going to, you know, uh, affect you in game. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be cosmetic if anything. Yeah. That's the way console games are trending with that stuff to make sure it's not pay to win. Exactly. Uh, and so they also talk about some of the game modes. Uh, there is obviously solo play, there is couch co-op, and there is uh, online multiplayer. And one of the things that they mentioned that they thought was cool about couch co-op, uh, which for people, you know, depending on what platform you're playing on, it encourages the two people playing to stay on the same screen. So there's no split screen. Like it's you're both there, which means that you kind of have to fight shoulder to shoulder, yeah. which I thought was kind of a fun a fun thing hopefully that won't be too much of an issue in online gameplay where one person is lagging behind and has to catch up to the other uh, but i thought that was kind of a cool thing uh, they mentioned that they liked the the dialogue that happens back and forth when you're on the same couch talking with you know you know your your playing partner and and game, going through the game and they're talking a lot about designing the game so that it feels fun for multiple skill levels and multiple gameplay styles like if you want to blitz through this and run as fast as you can and just go crazy then you can do that or if you want to explore every side room pick up all the gear do all the loot stuff like find all the different little tweaks and things you can do that too uh and they they've mentioned this before it's not news that minecraft dungeons do not does not have classes it has armor and gear and your class is defined by what you're wearing so if you're geared to be a tank that's how you're playing and if you decide mm, i'm kind of bored with this i want to switch and be a damage dealer wizard you can switch you just you have to find the gear or or switch to gear you already own and then you can just change the way that you you, you gameplay which is great because if you're playing with a partner and they're no good at the tanking thing and they much prefer to be a wizard and you don't care, then you can be the tank. You like, you can just switch your gear out and you can play the tank with that particular person, which I think mm -hmm. is really fun. It, it makes it accessible, you know, for parents playing with kids, for different, you know, older siblings and younger siblings to all play together and have some fun. Um, enchantments have enchantment upgrades, which I didn't realize. Uh, and I thought this was really neat. The, ex the example that I paused on screen was they say, oh, you can enchant your gear to have it give it different effects. And it was like, say, poison cloud. But right there on screen, there's poison cloud level one, 
level two, and level three, similar to how you'd have efficiency one, two, and three in Minecraft. And I noticed that it was six, 12, and 18 damage per second, respectively. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like damage points are going to be very different in Minecraft dungeons than in Minecraft, because correct me if I'm wrong in the math here, but 18 damage is nine Minecraft hearts, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're looking at dungeons having skeletons that have maybe like 50 health instead of 20, which is what right. they have in-game, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're looking at a different scale and presumably with them iterating on some of the mobs and having like harder versions of mobs that appear in later levels, those are going to have closer to like 200 health. Or right. like that's going to be like a boss bar kind of thing. Whereas the Ender Dragon has 200 health in, in Minecraft and is one of the, uh, the only creatures that has that amount of hp so yeah, yeah ev evidently the scale is going to be a little bit different players are going to be able to deal more damage mobs are going to be able to take more damage yeah and so i and i think that will help also with um player scalability so like as you get more powerful you're obviously going to have more health points and hit points and things like that definitely uh, yeah i feel like the portion of the video where they talked about mission tiles I have some mixed feelings. They really focused a lot on the replayability, which makes me sound like the game is maybe not going to be that long. Uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling it's going to be... It, it will depend entirely on your approach to the game. Like like they said, if you want to mm. just like go straight through the story, you could probably run through it in like an hour or two, maybe. But if you want to explore and you have that procedurally generated like area where there are side missions that you can go off on do they even say there are going to be kind of like side quests that will be divergent from the main story and will take you down different paths in the same level yeah. so what's nice about the way that they worded this or how they explained it is that they've got mission tiles so some mission tiles are fixed because they are story beats they are important rooms that mean this is how you beat this dungeon you need this key so this key room is going to be in this dungeon because if you don't get it then you can't beat the dungeon but where that key room is is going to be different mm -hmm. and so every time you play a particular mission and i'm just using this as an example because the key is what they showed on screen but you need the key to fit to beat this dungeon the key room is always going to be the same but all the tangent rooms all the rooms that contain the baddies the you know uh, the hallway with the spikes in it that could be different every time you play and so that to me was really interesting so that if you're playing it for the second time you're introducing a friend to the game and they're coming along with you it's all brand new to them but it's not going to be something where you're like okay i go down here i turn left i turn right i turn left and then i'm at the end that's not going to be the case it's something where you where you're playing you're like you know the room that you're looking for when you get to the boss battle room you're going to know it but you're not going to know where it is. And I think that's kind of, that's fun. I think that allows, you know, some replay replayability, some multiplayer co-op stuff to then not be the exact same experience for everybody every time. Yeah. Which that, I think that's, is going to be cool. There are two things I'm interested in arising from this video. The first being related to level design. Is it going to be similar to Minecraft in that you could put in a seed and you would get the same dungeon layout? Because... I'm thinking about stuff like um, the speedrunning event AGDQ just happened recently, and so I'm thinking about speedrunning again. 
um not not to do it myself but just like the the culture of speedrunning has sort of entered my field of view for a for a short while and i kind of wonder if it's going to be possible to do speedruns of this game based on knowing the layout of a level in advance which is mm. something that's quite important to speedrunners and there are fixed seed speedruns of the core minecraft game where everybody knows where the stronghold is where they have to go to fight the dragon and like that being the final objective in the right. story of minecraft that's what they're aiming to do the fastest when they take on the speed run whereas there are also random seed speed runs which you know you just plonk yourself down in a world you've never seen before and i wonder if dungeons is going to have that same capability whether they consider that essential enough to the minecraft experience that people could share seeds for specific dungeon layouts or if it's just going to be randomized every time you launch the game Mm. Uh, the other thing I'm interested in is the fact that towards the end of this video, one of the developers says they do plan on continuously updating dungeons to introduce new content, and whether that's going to be significant updates, whether that's going to be related to what's going on in the core Minecraft game at the time, so when they introduce the nether update, are the nether levels of dungeons going to change? I mean, that's just an example because we don't know when the nether update is coming out it might be concurrent with dungeons it might be a little bit after but then updating it so soon after release might not be realistic but say whatever the 1.17 update is looking a little further down the road um that could potentially influence what's happening in dungeons or alternatively it could be an update that's unique to dungeons that might introduce some features where people go hey wouldn't it be cool if that was in regular minecraft yeah. so i want to see what the interaction is between the two if they're both going to be continuously updated going forward where does that boundary lie are they going to take ideas and kind of shuffle them into both games is there going to be a mixture of that stuff or are they going to be developed in very separate directions my guess with Minecraft Dungeons would be they're probably going to add things like uh, like a new bad guy, you know, like a new a new boss, you know, like yeah. a new a new story beat where it's not going to be as long as the original game, but it'll give you something new to do. But it'll probably also introduce a lot of new items and different things. And this is where I think the replayability will come in. You finish the game, you have the gear that you want, then the expansion comes out, and you go and play that, and you get new sword, new armor, new new rune, new fire thing. I don't know what it is that you get, but you get something new and fun. And maybe it's not OP, like maybe it's not, it doesn't make you super powerful, but it just creates different abilities. Like, oh, now you can attack uh, five enemies at once, even though you do less damage. But that's not something you could do the first time you played the game. So then you can go back and play the game again from the beginning with this new gear. Mm -hmm. uh, if that's possible i don't this is all speculation but i can understand how adding some new items and new new stuff to the game could then have the replayability of these random dungeons uh be even greater because now you have more stuff that you can do more combinations of things like maybe you've had a, a magic wand before but you've never had the magic wand with the poison cloud you know ability we don't know um i think too that uh they mentioned the three different types of items in the game there are consumables which are things like food and tnt things that you eat to heal yourself and things that you can throw at enemies to blow them up and attack stuff that are then gone when you're using them uh there are items and artifacts which are like your armor your gear your weapons and things like that that you can pick up and then there are um there was one other type of oh enchants i think that was it I thought there were, they mentioned three and I'm blanking on the third one right now, but they mentioned the three different types uh, and how that affects, you know, the, the way that you play the game. 
uh, I think it was enchants that we talked about. So even though you've picked up the same gear as somebody, you might have different enchants on it than somebody else. So that it just kind of creates this like infinite kind of like minutia of like, how do you gear yourself up? And that's what I like about dungeon crawlers. Like I like getting into saying like, okay, well, this does more damage, but it's slower. Like, do I want to use that? Or like, how do I want to play the game? Um, as far as bringing stuff into vanilla Minecraft, my fear, and this is a personal thing with playing Minecraft Dungeons, I think I'm going to get spoiled by the textures. And I'm just, every time I turn a corner, I'm going to be like, I want this in vanilla Minecraft. I want yeah, that yeah. in vanilla Minecraft. Like, and some of the stuff is not really reinventing the wheel. Like the, I, in some of the, the tile sets in this video, you're in like what looks like kind of like a sandstone dungeon or some sort of old ruin. The textures look to be the same sort of textures we currently have in game with stone bricks, like carved stone, smooth stone, you know, stone bricks, but they're sandstone colored. And it's just like, yeah, I, I want those. That doesn't look that hard. <laughs> like I kind of want, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting opportunity for community texture pack makers to try and emulate that stuff for people who wanted it yeah. in game. I mm -hmm. can imagine a lot of people studying the level design of dungeons just so they can create a texture pack for that, that works in, regular minecraft if if you know mojang doesn't implement something like that themselves based on how popular dungeons is you know that could be really cool mm. yeah now that now that there is a a kind of new default texture pack and the classic programmer art texture pack there is scope for them to produce something else i'm not saying that they necessarily will and no even if even if they do i imagine the community will probably try and do it first i'd be i'd be surprised if somebody hasn't done so already just based on the trailers we've seen but uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see if that happens. Uh, I think we should probably move on quickly from Minecraft Dungeons. There's two other news items I wanted to talk about very briefly. One being uh, Jeb confirmed earlier today on Twitter that the mountain update will arrive sometime this year, according to uh, just a reply that he posted on, you know, so somebody naturally on a completely unrelated post. I think it was like his Christmas wishes kind of tweet that he put out. Somebody was like, when mountain update, please. Uh, so yeah, they... they he clarified that the, the mountain update is supposed to arrive sometime next year. Not a solid date, but at least some reassurance that it's going to be turning up not long after the nether update, which was our concern about having to wait super long for this update and then the next minecon kicks in and we end up, you know, with, with something else on our hands to, right. to look forward to. Uh, the other thing I wanted to cover is the development of Optifine, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be interested in that. Optifine for 1.15.1 is currently, as of January 8th, about 54% complete. <laughs> That's a rough estimate as based on the comments on their Twitter account. Personally, I'm only missing Optifine for the Zoom key at this point, uh, and... An interesting sidebar to this, a friend of the show, Logical Geek Boy, has created his first Minecraft mod called Logical Zoom, which is basically his implementation of the Optifine Zoom function, or a Zoom function, uh, which is compatible for the Fabric mod loader for 115.1. So if anybody like me is just missing the Zoom function, check out Logical Zoom. We'll have a link for that in the uh, episode notes, and you might be uh, you, you might find that gap filled, uh, however temporarily, by uh, Logical Geek Boy's mod. Nice. I've been missing Optifine myself, but not for, I don't think for performance issues. I just find that it gives you more graphical control 
So yeah, there's there's anti- more like fine detail options. Yeah, in there. anti-aliasing stuff that I'm noticing is like, why does this look so uh, like OG Minecraft? It's like, oh, it's because Optifine just does some things to just make things look a lot nicer. Yeah, uh, I, I've definitely know. seen a lot of people say they miss shaders right now as well. It's the other big thing. I, well, I, I'm missing them a little bit because, of course, I'm, I'm on a new gaming PC, which means that I can I can utilize shaders and probably even play and stream with shaders going. And it's not going to be a problem because I have a dedicated graphics card for that kind of thing. now. Yeah. Uh, which I'm excited to try. Uh, I do I do miss my connected textures in some places. Uh, oddly enough, I have this connected glass texture, and it looks better without the connection in the city, in the modern city. Uh, mm-hmm. It adds that level of details to your buildings when you can see all the individual glass planes with the with the line around them, yeah. as opposed to just one solid sheet of glass. Which unfortunately you can't pick between the two. Uh, unless you have specific textures that connect and specific ones that don't based on color. Um, but I'm, I think I might have to create a, a texture pack for the modern city in which my connected glass texture is not connected. Because uh, all the fog effect stuff that I've done um, in previous builds looks terrible with a grid of Tron lines over my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> over my glass. But in the modern city, it adds that level of detail that you can't get. It gets that sub-block detail in Minecraft, which is so hard. Uh, so I, I think I might have to kind of like pick and choose, uh, the Optifine thing that I notice, and this is probably more of a, a, a content creator thing. I miss stuff giving off light. I like having a torch in my hand and being able to see what I'm doing without having to put right. torches everywhere. Been, been playing with dynamic lighting switched on. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, well, for the, the example, I had a really difficult time sorting out whether my powered rails were powered. I could not see if they were on or not. Uh-huh. And it was because they weren't giving off any light and it was just a simple change in the red texture. And so uh, the other day on stream, because I was in a dark area, I couldn't quite see the difference. And and it, uh, it it's something that I've got, I guess I've just got used to taken for granted over the last little while playing with Optifine. So I'm looking forward to it coming out because I, again, textures and shaders are fun. Yes, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I kind of wish they were developing a replay mod for 115 as well, but apparently mm. they are not. Um, no. it, there are rumors of a couple of people picking up that project and, um, yeah, taking over from the developers who've got it this far, but, um, yeah, no news as yet about whether they plan to support future versions, but 115 was simply, uh, yeah, not the update for them, apparently. Well, uh, moving on, let's, uh, let's move into chunk mail for this week. Nice to get some listener emails, and I'm sure we've had plenty of those over the break, uh, but you have quite a nice long email here, which, uh, yeah, I'll let you read this one. Sure. So uh, as we mentioned, this is from uh, uh, one of our listeners, Shane K, or Leftovers NZ in-game. And it is about Shattered Savannah inspiration. I just wanted to drop a line to say hi and thank you for the great, great quality Minecraft podcast. I just discovered the Spawn Chunks a couple of weeks back, and I am thoroughly enjoying it. The completionist in me can't help but go back and listen to them all in order from the beginning. I am currently on episode 24. I'm a graphic designer and so greatly appreciate the discussion and custom tweaks you've made to particular blocks uh, to quiet the eye on the twitchy neon hay bales and others. I'm glad that we agree on the neon hay bales. (laughs) Uh, It has inspired me to stop looking for the perfect texture pack and start looking into tweaking the default pack to suit myself. I've also really enjoyed the talk around building a lore around your worlds and help drive the story and consistency. I play on a few realms amongst old friends and work colleagues, but have just started another realm of my own with a drive and lore of my own 
invention. I particularly love the landscape of shattered savannas with the sheer hills, interesting cave structures and vibrant colors, and the challenge of building in these landscapes rather than clearing and flattening. Developing a lore around this world helped me build a clear vision for it working with the idea that the land was once roamed by titan-sized creepers, skeletons, zombies, etc. They shattered the savanna being the result of the titan creeper blast and vibrancy compared to standard savanna being their spirit of these titans being returned to the earth, making for highly fertile lands. The idea is expanding to even, um, sorry, the, the idea is expanding to even now as I write and taking Greek mythology uh, and even Final Fantasy influences around the world of Gaia and how this might inform other cities within the world. Also building into this idea is the spawners around the world being remnant energy from where the age old Titans had fallen. The discussion style of the spawn chunks has really helped the creative juices flow and you can trust that I've shared the spawn chunks amongst my various realm groups. Have a great Christmas and New Year. Who knows, by the time you get back the first episode of 2020, I might just have caught up. In-game, I'm known as Leftovers NZ, but my family know me as Shane. Cheers. Well, thanks so much for the lovely email, Shane. And Yeah, uh, thank you. Oh, man. Great compliments. Thank you so much for sharing the show. I'm glad that you enjoy the, the conversation style, that you find it inspiring. Uh, something that I will never ever be tired of as a as a content creator whether it's art podcasts minecraft streaming when people say that i've been inspired by what you're doing and it's just a huge compliment it's it's kind of like the mission right it's just to inspire others to be creative it's it's definitely it, when someone takes that stick that you're holding and runs with it you know like yes. it's, just, it's such a fun fun feeling to know that you're inspiring creativity in other people yes um, absolutely i don't know if we have the same version of brilliant colors and savannas <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I might be a little bit lost there, uh, but uh, I appreciate the the lore that you've added. And I think it underlines a great point that we've made on the show before, which is what do we do in Minecraft? Like what like what do I do next? And I think that the idea of adding even the smallest monochrome of story, like even the tiniest bit will will push you into an endless sea of things to do. And I was recently listening to an episode of DLC, which is a very good uh, general gaming podcast. I'd like to, to plug it here because I've been listening to them a lot over the holidays. Uh, Jeff Kanata and hosts do a fantastic job. Um, and they were recently talking about Minecraft. Their kids were getting into it and they weren't really sure how to instill that passion for Minecraft into their kids that they're seeing that maybe the older nephew or the older cousin has. And their question was like, I just don't know what to tell them. I don't know how to tell them what to do because they're used to games that have clear goals. And so like, you know, kill the bad guy, don't die, that kind of stuff. And so I was thinking about this and, and how to maybe even write into DLC and, and give them a recommendation. And I came up with the idea that as a Minecraft player, you need to have one idea, just one. And then the game kind of helps you with the rest. Mm -hmm. you just have to kind of shoot for the moon. Like if you want to build a star destroyer or if you want to build a castle or if you want to build a giant sorting system, you just have to decide what you want to do. And then immediately Minecraft just tiles out all of these subtasks to do, right? Like if you yeah. want to build a castle and you want any kind of white stone, well, you're going to have to get either diorite or quartz. And so like you're going to have to dig and you're going to have to find a way to get to the nether. You know, um, now if you're branded as a game, you might have to do a little bit of research to figure out where the heck quartz comes from, but 
like you just, once you have that single idea, you know, you then have a number of tasks laid out before you. The problem is that the game doesn't necessarily tell you, you need an idea, right? Like that's, it's the, the handholding for that part is not there. And so I think that the, if, if, would you agree with that? You have more experience with this kind of stuff than, than I do with probably people asking you this kind of question all the time. So when someone says like, you know, how do I get started in Minecraft? Would you think that that one idea is kind of like a key benchmark? Yeah, it really is. And that that's what I typically tell people who say like, I get bored in Minecraft. I don't know what to do. I've run out of like the, the objectives of the game sets for me. It's like you have to start setting objectives for yourself. And yep. if you have an idea for a story or something like that, try building it in Minecraft. That's a very, very good way of getting started. Even if it's like an idea that you've just scribbled down in a notebook one day that you thought like that would make a really great novel or something like that. You're writing kind of like short story things that you don't necessarily know how to translate visually. You can start with Minecraft almost like as a sketch pad for stuff like that. And even if it doesn't end up being like the Minecraft project that you go with, it gets you thinking about that stuff in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, uh, Shane's idea about having giant versions of creepers, skeletons, and zombies and so forth is kind of backed up in-game by the fact that there is a giant zombie in the game's code that doesn't naturally spawn anywhere in the, in the, the game itself, but you can summon one using commands. So it's not that far from the actual truth. And... Interestingly enough, the uh, the giant-sized creepers reminded me of a trend a little while ago where people on Reddit were building the fossils of giant creepers and built, like, you know, giant landscape-sized skeletons for stuff. I'm going to drop you a link to this one, and I'll put this in the show notes as well. But there's uh, a bunch of, like, effectively skeletal creepers kind of lying on their sides with grass and leaves overgrowing them. And stuff like that really adds some atmosphere to the world in much the same way as Minecraft's pre-generated fossils do, of giving the idea that there were these creatures once upon a time that were a grander thing. Kind of like the way Breath of the Wild on the Nintendo Switch builds the history of the land of Hyrule by having all of these ruins everywhere without having to explain explicitly what everything was. Just mm. lets your imagination fill in the gaps. It's a very cool way of doing things and something Minecraft is perfect for because it's difficult to populate the world with you know, actual people, unless you're on a large multiplayer server or you want to do a lot of villager breeding, you don't really see anything resembling civilization. So having an idea where there was this ancient thing which is no longer there fits perfectly with Minecraft's gameplay style. Uh, this giant creeper skeleton is awesome. Like that, yeah. that's, a, that's exactly the kind of thing that, that, that I think uh, Shane was talking about. Like it's such a cool idea. And, and because you're building something that the game has already has like the game already has in it you're, it's not difficult to build a blocky creeper skeleton because of course the creeper's pretty blocky right like, yeah you're not trying to build something round in minecraft you know like um i did that with my my fortified bridge which was just an excuse to build a castle looking bridge um it's no longer fortified because my the story that i just kind of popped into my head for it was that it used to be a bridge that would protect that river but since it's no longer either wartime or the need for that is no longer uh, there. So the gates and stuff aren't there. It's just that the bridge has got some towers on it. And that explained why it used to be a fortified bridge, kind of an excuse to build like towers and stuff on a bridge. And yeah. just that little bit of lore made me think, okay, well, if it's used to be that it's obviously really old, which means it should be chipped and weathered and I should use those kind of textures and the inside of it should be old and not like, 
modern concrete it should be stone and maybe some broken things and uh all that kind of stuff and it really it really does help you know in terms of um, making some creative decisions uh, i i often say like when i'm dealing with with clients as a, as a professional artist like i want some creative freedom but i also need parameters and i yeah. am much more creative when i have parameters you know for example square icons you know like i can't make it whatever shape i want it has to fit in that box you know stuff like that makes me more inventive you know and so giving yourself some story parameters might might help because then you're like oh well i i can't build there because that's sacred ground according to my lore i think he talked about spawners shane talked about spawners being like the 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 energy of a fallen titan so maybe you just you're not allowing yourself to build in those areas they have to be sacred which means that leads to the idea of temples or you know safe spaces or maybe they're all overgrown like all that kind of stuff just kind of cascades into stuff to do in the game yeah yeah it's a very neat way of working and keep it up because evidently there are a lot more ideas flowing from that one in particular uh so for this week's discussion topic we figured since you know we're, we're getting back into the swing of things after the holiday break and we've had a little bit of time to play in minecraft 115 or as it is now 115.1 you've been playing steadily over the holiday break i played quite intensively before i left for my holiday and i'm now getting back into it we thought we could follow up on the last episode's discussion with our feedback now 115 has been out for over a month and why don't you kick us off because um you know you've recently updated your server to 115.1 how has that been going so i've been not seeing a lot of performance improvements uh i i know that the chunk loading was supposed to be better uh specifically in 151 because 115 they made a note that yes there are some issues with servers we know we're going to fix it in this you know this hot fix mm -hmm. um i sent you some screenshots just before the the show yeah. this is the kind of chunk loading that we're dealing with uh, like there are giant holes in the world. It kind of looks like that old trick when you used to be able to like bury your head in gravel and like, you know, see through the ground and see caves and things like that. That's or the tru kind of... Troublingly, it looks a lot like the chunk loading errors you were seeing at the beginning of 114. Exactly. Uh, and I have to make a little note here about any of my comments on performance is that there, there is some inconsistency on my end. So uh, I don't often play in a single player. My worlds are server. Uh, I have been able to play on both a Mac and a PC and streaming and not streaming. And I have not seen a difference, uh, in, in either of those situations. So, um, the, like one should be performing better than the other. Uh, the connections are both the same. It's the same internet connection. They're both wired, like all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I've also been able to control things like, uh, my frame rate. So for example, my frame rate is 60, not unlimited. I don't really see the difference over 60 frames a second. I don't think it really matters. So the chunk loading is still slow despite having limited my frame rate. Um, I don't know, however, if there are any problems server side. Like, is my server provider having issues? Don't know. No way to really tell. Uh, is... Uh, I can sort of look at the performance of the server while I'm on it, and it does fluctuate a fair bit in terms of using a lot of RAM, but that's always been the case. Yeah. And I don't really have a lot of great chunk loading to compare it to because we updated to 113 shortly after starting the Citadel. So I, it's like I don't have a reference point of 
like smooth chunk loading. I don't remember in the one stream that I did, I don't remember the single player world where I was looking for bees having super smooth chunk loading either. I seem to remember a lot of frame rate issues. But again, that was 115, not 115.1. So I don't know what's going on there. But I've not been blown out of my chair by smoothness and, and improved performance. It still feels kind of minecrafty you know, like it just it just it feels like this game that is <laughs> that's always been yeah. a little bit quirky and so i can't really speak to that um i know that when i play on my pc things like my mouse movements my mouse tracking and things like that are all smoother but i'm 99 percent sure that that is a mac issue not yeah. a minecraft issue uh, i also know that there are uh conflicts with obs and Mac versus Streamlabs OBS and my PC running a lot smoother and not conflicting as much with one another. Not that there aren't quirks to both. I'm not, you know, kind of putting one ahead of another on a different pedestal. But so my problem with the performance feedback is that it's inconsistent in some cases. But when I've managed to create the same uh, testing environment, I've noticed that consistently 115.1 on servers is not performing as I feel it's been, I don't want to say advertised, but the feedback that I see online is not what I'm seeing. I see a lot of people saying like, whoa, this is like night and day. I was like, nope, it is the same. It's not worse. So I'm not really complaining, but I'm just, I'm not seeing the new shiny that everybody else is is seeing. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting because I feel like maybe the chunk loading improvements are more impactful in single player worlds, but mm. I haven't noticed chunk loading being an issue at all. Um, I'm, for the record, capped at 120 FPS and 16 chunk render distance, uh, 120 because my monitor has a higher refresh rate, so I do actually notice occasionally when it sure. drops below 60, and and it does quite frequently, and FPS, as we know, is one of those things that, while it has been prioritized in the past, is now less of a priority so that chunk rendering and stuff is supposed to be uh, improved. I don't know if the server side is doing as well because some players from my server say they haven't noticed a performance improvement from 114.4 um it's still lagging in the same ways and i wonder if this is something that is just a holdover from the fact that the server is from the previous version i wonder if starting mm. a new world in 115 would allow it to just bring all of the fresh new 115 stuff with it i'm talking in very general terms here because once again i really don't know what i'm talking about when it comes right. to this stuff but i do wonder if maybe starting a server in 115 would remove that factor of the stuff that has had a chance to become laggy in 114.4 and has been built up a certain way and maybe it's bringing some data over with it that is conflicting with the way it loads stuff in 115.1 yeah um I'm not certain, and I also don't know if there are performance issues on the server side. We have a pretty solid hosting package, um, so I don't think it is anything to do with the performance of the hardware we've got. Although, naturally, it's not a dedicated server. We can't pump that much money into it, so the server is probably running alongside other servers on the same machine. But we've got a pretty decent amount of RAM and CPU. I never see that stuff getting overloaded. I think it is just... Yeah, the, the fact that the server is well built up, there are farms running pretty much constantly, there are always two or three people online, some of them may even be loading chunks looking for bees and that kind of stuff, yeah. so I'm, I'm not sure quite how to mitigate that, and if there are recommendations that anybody can offer for ways to improve that, if they have noticed specifically that a world started in 115 
performs better on a server than in 114 email the show and let us know because yeah. it would be really great to get some some of the minutia from naturally the thousands of people out there playing on servers and dealing with the update whether or not you have noticed specifically certain things working rather than just a general improvement in performance it'd be good to know what works for you so yeah. that we can look into it ourselves yeah and i want to be clear that i'm not i'm not slamming moying at all like i no. Uh, uh, I'm disappointed that in my particular situation, I'm not seeing the new shiny. Not that I think that it doesn't exist. Um, and and I think too that I've wanted to go through the 115, 115.1, get the new PC up and running, try to do some consistent tests. And then the next step is going to be to uh, talk to some people that are a little bit more knowledgeable in terms of like data packs and stuff and say, okay, well, what are we running on the server that we either don't need? Uh, is there, I mean, I don't think there's any farms going. We're pretty good on the Citadel, but like if you build something that's going to be laggy, have an off switch. Same with my patron server. It's, you know, we, we have that kind of stuff in, in, implemented. I do find that the server was a bit chuggy when uh, more than a few people were online. But again, maybe that just means I need a better server uh, and that the advertised capacity of the server that I have now is not really, you know, what it, it should be. Um, we've noticed less issues on Infinity Cove, but my patron server, but it's a larger server, so it has more RAM. So like there's just, there's more resources allocated because there's more people playing consistently. Um, the last thing that I want to look at uh, is, you know, things like, you know, potentially talking to the server provider and saying, okay, well, I don't want to reset the world. I don't want to start new. Can we move it to a new server like i mean is if putting something on something that's built for 115 you know has the service provider had the time to implement you know tools available to have yeah. the, the, the server run better now that 115 has been out for a month like that these are the things that i couldn't address when it first came out because well one it was brand new two it was two weeks before christmas so like there's a lot of questions that i still have yet to ask so i'm on that road now yeah. on a positive note I absolutely noticed that taking off with Elytra is noticeably easier. Like, oh, yeah. What? Like night and day. Uh, and to the, to the benefit, it feels more immersive. It feels more reactive. It feels like you're doing what these things should be doing. Uh, on the flip, I tend to be swimming on my face in the dirt a lot more by accident because I'm, I'm in crawl mode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I find that that's good that it's easier to do but i am also not sure how i'm doing it and so all of a sudden it's like why am i under my redstone i don't want to be under my redstone yeah here <laughs> is know? here is a fun thing about the change they have made to elytra mechanics is that you can now open your wings when you are moving upwards instead of just when you're moving downwards yes. so previously when elytra were first introduced you didn't even activate them by pressing a space bar you just had to start falling while wearing the wings and they would open automatically the space bar the the press of the space bar was actually something they added in later at players requests because they wanted to still be able to fall at maximum speed while wearing elytra and open them manually it makes a lot of sense right but now now you can open your elytra when you are climbing in in the world when you when you are going upwards it's actually a really interesting counter to a shulker's levitation effect because the reason you couldn't activate your elytra when fighting shulkers before and you got hit by levitation is because you weren't traveling downwards now you can activate your elytra while traveling upwards you can go into glide mode and glide back down to fight the shulker so levitation is actually way less of a problem mm. when you're raiding end cities i noticed this the other day because i was going to find some more shulkers to put in my ender chest for this episode and 
it's actually way easier to deal with shulkers now because you can just hit spacebar as soon as you start levitating you glide back down towards it um so so that's kind of a neat thing and it, it is making it a lot easier for people to take off you can just double tap space now instead of having to time it so you press space again when you're falling and it makes taking off from the ground much easier but there are some unforeseen consequences and for the player's perspective certainly benefits of yeah. being able to open those wings while you're going upwards oh the takeoff feels a lot more like superman like it yeah. more, it feels like a uh a... A superhero like one knee up in the air you know whoosh you know and you're you're <laughs> all, off all like it needs it, all it needs is a fanfare at this point yeah yeah, yeah. Dur, dur, dur. yeah that'd be great um i wonder if i could yeah the, the sound sound resource pack that's happening <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> uh stuff like that i think is is uh is excellent uh i i have to say that i have not found any bees because i haven't gone looking for them uh, Alistair has, so a server mate has gone and found some bees. It took him about 90 minutes, I think, to find. Now, granted, we're on a server that was pretty well explored. We did clip the chunks back when we moved to 114, but I didn't clip them super close to people's builds. Like, I kind of gave us a continent of leeway where yeah. most of our main builds were. I kind of gave everybody kind of like a good chunk. I didn't, I didn't come on to the land. I only trimmed ocean at that point. Uh, if you find a new continent, it's going to be new chunks, but... Uh, it took him a little while to find bees, but I've had a new project in this modern city, but I'm, this modern city is in the middle of several connected plains biomes and it's all new. So I could probably find bees. I took 30 minutes on a stream, kind of warming up my voice and kind of looking around to seeing if anything on the surrounding meadows, uh, flower forests, and cause there are some flower forests nearby and I didn't see anything. And I was like, well, I've just spent another half an hour looking for bees and not finding anything and i didn't find them and so to me it's translating into it's just not a priority yeah i don't find them compelling enough to spend 90 minutes looking for bees now alistair has offered to drop some bees off to me which is awesome i kind of want to find them on my own like i do at least after i find one you know bee nest then i'm just like yeah sure alistair because he's now got a farm and like he's got dozens of bees and so mm-hmm. I might take him up on that offer later to help with some community builds. But like for me, I'm just not finding them that compelling. Now, I don't have a tutorial series like you driving me to go find them and, you know, talk about uh-huh. them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you haven't been playing a lot over the month, but in your time after you did the initial tutorials, do you find you're using the B stuff a lot? Or is it just kind of like, well, they're in there and they're done? Uh, I mean, once you've got a honey farm or a honeycomb farm set up, you don't need to interact with bees nearly at all. Um, So it's not like I'm, you know, going out in the morning and feeding them the way you would like cows and sheep and stuff when you want to breed them. Once you've got a a decent enough population, you aren't killing them to harvest their drops or anything. So you don't need to have that constant interaction with them. It's only really the case that you'd need that if you were farming the honey and honeycomb manually. If you're going up to the nests every day with a bottle or some shears, making Mm. sure the campfire is lit under it and interacting with them that way, which I'm not because there are some really neat ways of automating honey and honeycomb production. So once I had that stuff set up, which was obviously going to be the more popular tutorials for the tutorial series, I figured I would just leave well enough alone. So I don't see bees necessarily being something I interact with all that regularly, but if you want to mess around with honey blocks and so forth, then they're going to be something that is worth finding. Worth finding at the stage when you are prepared to make more complicated redstone contraptions because right. 
Honey blocks are specifically very, very good for for piston doors they add a lot of possibilities to those having ways of opening them which would be either a lot more difficult they wouldn't be as compact or they simply wouldn't be possible because of slime blocks sticking to each other so i now have a uh, honey block and slime block piston doors that interlock so that you can shuffle a few sets of blocks that are stuck to them against each other and they kind of combine in the middle and uh, you can separate them out in really interesting ways. And that's just revitalized my interest in building custom piston doors, which I always found a little bit tricky. And now honey blocks have been added in. It's kind of like observers being added in, getting me kickstarted with some more complex redstone stuff. Mm. It's just kind of given me an impetus to check it out at the same pace as everybody else, instead of joining a redstone community that's already miles ahead of where I would expect to be when I was just starting out. Nice. So. Honey blocks have really been worth it for me. Personally, I think bees are a great addition to passive mobs just in terms of the depth that they bring. If you compare bees to recent additions like turtles or foxes, maybe it has to do with them being domesticated and that they're actually animals that are domesticated in the real world. So we know a lot about their lives. We're used to working with them kind of side by side. There's a symbiotic relationship happening there. I think... The way they've implemented bees in this is has got a lot of depth to it. There are a lot of, you know, there's new blocks, there's new features, there's a new food, uh, just various new items, new behavior to track, things that you can use for redstone. Compare that to turtles where you have turtle eggs, which are probably more useful than the turtles themselves because of their ability to attract uh, hostile mobs to them. Um, so you can use them in mob farms, like a drowned farm I have uses a turtle egg to lure the drowned into a specific spot. But then the turtles themselves, they're nice ambient mobs, they give you the scoots for the turtle shell helmet, the shell helmet isn't really all that worth it, and you don't really tend to think about turtles again, whereas, you know, having a bee farm now attached to all of the other stuff I've got farmed in my spawn area in my world is kind of essential because of the amount of stuff i want to do with the produce that bees are giving me um mm. there are also depths to them like being able to get them to fight the wither which i mentioned earlier at the top of the show and yeah i fought the wither twice uh with bees which was much more difficult than i was led to believe a lot of people were getting very excited about this in the snapshots and spawning a bunch of bees in creative and of course with the wither attacking any mob it sees it you know, throws a projectile at a bee, all of the bees around it swarm the wither, take off a ton of health, and eventually kill it. Doesn't work quite so practically in survival, when for a start you have to breed all of the bees yourself, which takes a fair amount of time. And then I'm playing on hard mode, so the wither, I don't know if it has any better sort of defense, like armor rating, or it has more health. I think in Bedrock Edition it has more health, depending on what difficulty you're playing on Java, I don't think it does. But without applying any buffs to the bees they really weren't able to harm the wither fast enough that the wither didn't just recover its health splashing them with a strength 2 potion on the other hand actually took a fair chunk off of the wither's health but then i got a little bit too overconfident and a little bit too um you know hasty i wanted to take out the wither nice and quickly that's what led to me getting killed by the wither and ultimately the wither fireballing my gear and i lost all of my stuff uh. but yeah, that that's that that sucked. But I I have to say that fighting the wither with bees was something I thought was going to be a lot easier than it ended up being. And 
they managed to take it down to about half health once I had maybe 60 bees all buffed with strength 2. And they can only attack once because once they sting something, they lose their stinger and they die. Mm. So it's it's a little bit more challenging than I was led to believe. Fun, and I definitely got a good episode out of it despite losing my gear, but it was it was kind of fun. My one, my one proviso about bees, the one thing I really wish happened was that I wish there was a way to have bee nests generate after world generation. I think that's the problem a lot of people are having is that they, there's no way of just like generating a tree that is guaranteed to have a bee's nest in it or even has a chance of having a bee's nest in it yeah. other than just exploring the world. And now I'm playing Skyblock. It'd be really cool if I grew an oak tree and one in every hundred oak trees had the chance to grow a bee nest. Mm. I feel like that'd be kind of cool. And it would also prevent the problem you're having where just exploring the area around you doesn't yield any results. So you just kind of give up on that well, and then in that stream that i did when 115 first came out that single player world like i was it was 90 minutes and we found one b yeah right not two <laughs> not two to breed one I, li- so, I, I like i like the futility almost of just one b yeah it's like yeah. I, i'm i'm the only one left like waving a little yeah, white flag yeah. and then it died you know like because i didn't <laughs> i didn't light up the area because i mean i and that's my fault i mean I, I end game player not thinking like you know everything in my meadows is all lit up so like i just don't yeah. think about it right yeah yeah um, because i spent months like every time i logged in i'd place 20 buried torches under bushes you know just like every day just for a little while just to light up the whole area and i don't have that in a new world you know mm-hmm. and you forget about that kind of stuff um but for, for me uh, and i should i should back up and say that i am in a modern city mindset so bees are not really part of that yeah um i do in in listening to you talk about them being ambient and knowing that we've been begging for ambient mobs on the show for a while um i'm now thinking about how wonderful they would be as just adding bees to a field in a farm like you know whether it's flowers or wheat or whatever like i'm thinking about our friends like you know whip and mythical sausage the kind of stuff that they build where it's like this immersive landscape you're walking down this windy path and you're seeing bees buzz around in a field like that to me is is fantastic and i'm sure that there are a lot of uses like that for them that i'm just not thinking of because i'm just not in that headspace right now Mm -hmm. Um, the question i have for you do bees stop flying around if their hive or nest is full of honey? Like if you're using bees in, in an aesthetic way, you're not farming the honey from them. You're just letting them fly around the flowers and come back. Do they just go in a cycle or do they stop coming out or can they not go back in if the thing is full of, full of honey? They keep going in and out. There is just no effect on the hive or nest. So right. once it reaches honey level five, which is the point where you start to see honey dripping out of the side of it and you can yes. harvest it if you want to. If you don't harvest it, nothing in particular happens. The bees will okay. continue to do the same thing. Okay, cool. So if you want to use bees aesthetically, but you don't want to harvest the honey all of the time, that's fine. You'll still get to see the bees. Nice. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Because we have we're gonna be having a medieval area on the server, and I think that's probably one of the first things we'll do is build like a cool farm with some bees and kind of get get into some of the more the more uh 115, you know, content in that way. Uh I also uh want to implement the honey block in some of my drop shafts where I've been using yeah. uh vines or water. I'm wondering if having a one wide shaft with a honey block on the side of it at the bottom will be enough to stop you from hitting the ground so hard. 
Yeah, I haven't experimented that much with the falling mechanics, like the sliding mechanics yeah. of honey blocks. And yeah, that might be a an interesting one to add to the selection. I know that if you fall on top of them like hay bales, they limit the amount of fall damage you take too. Yes. So that mm. is an option as well. But yeah, having um having honey blocks alongside slime blocks and and vines and so forth as an ability to kind of catch you on the way down is is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I kind of wish you could reproduce be nests in trees because the texture is so nice and i've mm. seen people building kind of custom beehive builds with like you know they, they build a kind of custom tree branch that's sort of larger than your average minecraft tree and they hang this bee nest that's made out of you know 10 or 15 of the the bee nest blocks oh, and they cool. look they look great as a kind of cluster together and of course if you make sure that the front of it is still exposed bees can still go in and out of that that's the only uh restriction is that bees have to be able to access the front of the block in order to go in and out um but yeah without being able to go and find you know 15 of these things which would take you a long time especially in a world that's already been pre-generated i have found a total of five i think um it'd be really difficult to build something like that without creative mode and if you built it in survival hats off to you you clearly have more patience than i do mm. but um yeah i do kind of wish it was possible to generate a tree with a bee nest in it after world generation and maybe that's something they can implement in future or maybe they just plan to keep them rare and have hives be the man-made equivalent because ultimately that's how it works in real life just a shame that we can't capitalize on what i think is a really nice texture hmm all right, folks. Uh, well, we've talked our, uh, we talked your ears off. We talked our own ears off. I think it's probably time to wrap up this episode of the Spawn Chunks. It is good to be back. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the things we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me. And as ever, we are proud to be a listener-supported podcast. We are supported entirely by our patrons. And you can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community. Put some value back into something that you hopefully get some value out of. Pledging at any level gets you an invites to our patrons only discord chat gets us closer to our next milestone goals and we are currently at 151 patrons which is up from last year many thanks to everyone who has joined us over the holiday break but there is of course always room for more special thanks as ever go out to our content engineers who are cameron sigelski greena canuck jd williamson andy yitz thank you so much guys for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find us on the Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. But personal recommendations, just like Shane did, go the farthest to share the show with friends. Uh, It means a lot. It is the best way for podcasts to grow. Just tell your friends that you think it's cool uh, and we will be ever grateful. You can email the show with your experience in 115 or 115.1 at thespawnchunks at gmail.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, you name it, you find us, you can subscribe to us, including the RSS feed, which is linked on thespawnchunks.com. And of course, the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that is where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by PixelRiffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash PixelRiffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide, which is also branching out into Skyblock now as well. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at PixelRiffs on both Twitter and Instagram, and in the new year, I'm actually planning on posting on Instagram a bunch more, so drop a follow over there. Joel, where can people find you online 
Everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. Yeah, I do the Citadel Cafe every week. There is a new episode out for 2020 with Megan from last week, and that's at thecitadelcafe.com. We talked about The Witcher. So if you are watching that Netflix series, you can check that out. You can also follow me on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram. It's all my name, Joel Duggan, super easy to find. I am going to point you towards Twitch, of course, where I am playing Minecraft, playing other games, and also doing some live art, including some Twitch emotes for yours truly, Pixelris. Hey, exciting times. Thank you so much for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and my New Year's resolution is to punch more trees.